Welcome back to Disgusting Baseball. This is episode 207. I am your host, Matt Lyons. And on this week's episode, we got some meatballs, of course. We're talking about Aaron Savali headed to the injured list and what to expect from Peyton Battenfield. we got some thoughts on the lineup, some Josh Naylor facing lefties, some Will Brennan should be facing everybody kind of thoughts. Joining me for all that morning, this is Merritt Walfing. Merritt, how are you doing? Love the dream, Matt. Good to be here. There you go. You're going, uh, you're going to some baseball this week, right? I mean, you did last week, too, but you actually get to see... Uh, the boys. Actual, the, the boys, yeah. Yeah. Not just the, the, Josiah the... Gray. The mighty Cleveland Guardians, not some bullshit from Atlanta. No, a real, a real team. I'm excited. It'll be a good time. Who may or may not be losing as we record this podcast. I don't uh, know. Right now it's tied, so there, there we go. go. Oh, shit. Sure. As we, as we talk, speak, they're, beat, they're tied with the hated New York Yankees. I, I am very sick of pitchers coming out and immediately giving up. I think it's exactly two runs every time it's been. And then they just, <laughs> what is it, Quantrill, Plezak, and now Shane Bieber, they all... A terrible first inning, and then immediately lock in. And listen, then... you know, it makes it interesting, it makes it fun for the bull, for, for the fans, and definitely doesn't uh, continue to sow that subtle uh, taste of I don't know anger about how bad the team is. So I don't know, you know. <laughs> I have to say, I've really approached this season in a very new way, and I've tried this try this every year where I just there's so many darn games. <laughs> I'm not getting too worked up over one loss yeah. or four losses even. And there were only two this past weekend, which was fine. But uh, it's been, it's been, maybe I'm getting older, but I'm just trying not to get too worked up and sad over, you know, a bad run of games. And honestly, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, if Cleveland maintains this rate of six and four or 600 baseball, that's a 900 win or 99 win team. So, you know what I mean? I don't know. That'd be, that'd be dope. And so, like, it's all downhill from here, is what I'm saying. Um, this, this, this is the pinnacle. This, this is the peak of the season. If from here on out, they're going to play sub 600 ball. <laughs> And there we go. Anyway, Intank, yeah, I don't. I don't know if it's. I, I guess maybe it's. I'm getting older too because I'm. I'm the same way. It's not really like overreacting. I think the other good thing that has made me enjoy this season more is I'm purposefully avoiding being like the opinion police on Twitter. Like if I see somebody overreacting, I just let it go. Who cares? They're allowed yeah, to be upset exactly. if you want. I've done that for several years, and I'm sure I'll overreact at times now. If somebody else wants to do it, that's fine. I I think I just get more joy out of baseball when I'm not trying to nanny what other people think about the game. This is all football's fault, honestly. Like I just, I, I, I now, I, I, I became a Formula One fan in the last few years, and I'm, I'm approaching it. I'm, I'm trying to approach baseball the same way I approach being a fan of goddamn Ferrari. <laughs> just expecting pain and devastation <laughs> yeah. every single week. Exactly. Yeah. It works out. Oh, this is great. All right, this is fantastic. Yeah. So part, part of it's just the team too. Is they're fun. Like even if they win or lose, it's just a well, that's fun a part. Of the team. Right. Like there, there's honestly at this point, there's like two players on this team at this point where I, where I have a distaste for and even though like it's a not a but it's not an on-field thing i don't think i'd, I'd like i'd like to hang out with say james karinchak but you know what i like watching on field is james karinchak because it's a headache but also it's amazing when it works out i get that strikeout the other day where the ball bounced like 50 like 10 feet in front of the plate and the guy's still swung and missed and you're like you idiot what are you doing here so it's too, it's super cool but yeah. you know and yeah there's, there's plenty of people like that on offense pitching everywhere it'd be nice to have him weren't injured but but the way it is now it well what are you gonna do you know we're starting to plow some new boys in and we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes <laughs> and uh speak oh i'm not gonna do that <laughs> let's just do some meatballs mate all right <laughs> meatball 
This is, of course, the meatball section of the podcast. But yeah, where we just talk about fun little tidbits the Guardians did over the last week instead of just running down every single event of the, the last week in Guardians baseball. Mine this week is I, I couldn't not talk about Hunter Gaddis, who's a guy I've, I think, continually hyped up on Twitter just because that changeup is fun. He is giant. And I think when it gets warmer, he's going to be so sweaty out there with that big beard. And we're going to love him for it. But I don't think he's pitching his tipping his pitches anymore like he was a year ago. It's been mentioned quite a bit that maybe this isn't the greatest one for a audio podcast. But if you look at like his baseball savant page of his release point, they have this cool little chart where you can just see. I mean, literally every pitch where it comes out of his hand, there's a dot for it. Like his curveball is it was just way up there last year. His changeup was lower. Um, he, he was just kind of all over the place. We had two starts and he was an absolute train wreck in both. And I mean, it makes sense if you think about it, if you're just a batter up there watching this six foot six behemoth healing, throwing baseballs at you, you're going to be looking where he's releasing the ball. And when you start to see that, like the curveball is so much higher over his head, you're going to go back to the dugout and tell your friends and probably like giggle around the water cooler and point to Hunter Gaddis and make him feel insecure. But you're going to have something on him. But I think he fixed that this year, just looking at it. Andre not mentioned it in the broadcast that they that's something they actually specifically worked on, and it's something that's changed this year. So I hope, obviously, it was only one start against the vaunted A's offense, but he came out with a, I, I think we'll just call it heroic, heroic performance against the we Oakland will. A's. It was in service to his country and his fellow man. But uh, yeah, it was really good against them. <laughs> I just don't think, I think it's part of it, he's just not tipping his pitches, because even if it was the A's last year, I think they would have crushed him also. He just looks so bad against everybody, but. I'm happy to see Hunter Gaddis. Um, that, that fastball was up there. It was it was up to like 97 at one point that it dropped back down. But if he does that and keeps the curveball working and that changeup, which I think we talked about last week, has a ton of movement on it. I'm excited to see what he can do. And I guess now with Aaron Savali injured, it's not going to be Gaddis versus Plezak down the line. But I think if that ever comes to it, I would take Hunter Gaddis unless he tanks in the last couple starts. But so far, I think he's made one big change, and that could help him a lot this year and be more of the player we thought he could be when he came up last year. And that is very much, I think, an issue that larger pitchers especially have is, like you said, the release point, really maintaining. Because there's just so, honestly, there's just so much more of them. And so it's just, again, it's a hand-eye coordination. It's just a it's repeatable delivery process. It's not something I'm making up. This is something that I think larger pitchers have always had. Like, um, And him figuring that out is so vital, like you said. And then you look at, like again, his baseball savant page. He um, has incredible extension compared to other uh, compared to the average pitcher. Again, probably because he's six foot six and two hundred sixty pounds. Uh, the first half of that probably matters the most. But um, I, he is—he is a player, much like Battenfield. We're going to talk about in a few minutes. Who I'm encouraged by with this gigantic dude move that the, uh, <laughs> the, the Guardians seem to be going towards with some of their um, young pitchers. Um, but no, yeah, like you said, it's—he didn't record the strikeouts we were hoping for, or anything like that, which is a sample size of one game, obviously one and a half games, basically, but. Um, like you said, if he can figure that out and, uh, I don't know, a fastball coming from that angle um, and that close to you and then with a changeup and a curveball and just having other things to supplement it, uh, it's it's he's he's the kind of pitcher who I'm, I'm hopeful that they can continue to mold into something greater. Like, we talk so much about the Cleveland Pitching Factory, and I think he's a good, a good raw material to continue to kind of work through that process. And we'll see how it goes as, as time goes on. But um, I am very encouraged by his... Uh, by the first couple starts. Yeah, and, and one last note about it. He threw, he's thrown it 13 times so far. It was only put in play once. There was one foul and two string, two swinging strikes and a called strike. So he's kept it down out of the zone. It hasn't been put in play. It was a pitch, obviously, that the batters knew was coming last year, and they, they crushed it more often than not. But this year, he's been really good with it. So 
Yeah. So I, I caught a whiff of your meatball, Merritt, and it doesn't smell good. So No, I'm no, it's a, it's a bit of a rotten boy right now. Did you know? So <laughs> <laughs> on Sunday afternoon, uh, Med Rosario went 0 for 6 at two <laughs> strikeouts. <laughs> sorry, sorry, keep going. <laughs> Just a nasty old time. Did you know that is the first time that a Cleveland player has gone 0 for 6 with two or more strikeouts since last week when Josh Bell <laughs> went 0 for 6 and two strikeouts. I was going to say that. <laughs> on, on April 3rd. <laughs> I, I was going to say, that sounds like something that would happen and you just wouldn't notice most of the time. But. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bell didn't have an RBI in that game, whereas um, Rosario did have an error, which is all to say two oh, guys who up until very recently were batting in the top uh, half of the lineup, or you know, top almost th- top third, uh, have been absolute pits offensively. Uh, if anyone's curious, that has happened uh, seventy-five times ever in the history of Cleveland baseball, where someone has gone over six with at least two strikeouts. Which honestly, impressive uh, category. The last time before Bell did it was uh, Francisco Lindor in 2019. Before that was Kipnis in 2017. Uh, Rajai Davis, Mike Napoli. Rajai Davis, Jan Gomes all did it in 2016. Nasty. Ooh, man. Rajai Davis and Jan Gomes did it in the same game, no less. <laughs> That's brutal. There, I mean, there was a time, remember, like when when Cleveland was down by like three runs, it just felt over, even when they were a good team. Yeah. Like if they didn't get out ahead with the pitching, it was, it was just done. But all this to say, it's early that, in the season, I know, but my God, I met Rosario stinks offensively sometimes. That I, I game know. Th- especially was like both sides of the ball, he was a train wreck. Just a mess. Because there were two times he came up, I think they were both in extra innings, and he just watched a college strike three grow oh, twice. Okay. With bases loaded. <laughs> Saying <laughs> over six miserable. really undersells how bad yeah. he was on Sunday specifically. But like, and it's one of those things where, I mean, we were talking before the podcast about like, how they set up lineups, and it's like it's vibes-based. And if ever there was a vibes-based player, it is very much a med Especially just It's bad. It's bad. It's so bad. And then we'll go five for five, like, for three straight games, like this guy's the best player I've ever seen. My God! Um, but right now, it's very bad. And then uh, to circle back to Josh Bell too. Like w- w- one of my coworkers, he was like, "What's the deal with Josh Bell?" I'm like, "Honestly, I'm just used to this. They signed some first baseman who like he's the addition they needed, and he's just bad, just very bad." So <laughs> there's a chance your coworker is probably a Nationals fan, right? So he should know. He's, if, uh, um, Josh he's Bell a- starts slow like this. What he is is more of a degenerate gambler than anything else. So, you know, that's, that's how I would describe him. But, yeah. yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've both been pretty bad. I think we have a, yeah. there's a question later on about Bell, which actually ties in really well. I'm just going to do it now. Uh, what was it? Eric McCafferty on Facebook asked, why is Arias not starting over Josh Bell? Which, I mean, off the top kind of almost would make sense because, I mean, Bell's been horrible. But also you paid Bell, and I think he's going to stick around, and they're not going to just dump him like that. Also, but. it's been 10 games. Like, it's also it's been 10 games. Yeah. <laughs> it's been 10 games. Like, I, I get it. Like I, We all want to be reactionary, but as we were both talking about, like, it's not like we're, either of us are old, but we've just – I've watched a lot of baseball in my life, and it's like, it's 10 games. Like, I like – They'll be bad for ten games, you know. I remember I read an article five, like four or five years ago, where it's like, here are the stats of a random player, and it was like he's like, you know, four for sixteen with uh, three strikeouts and one error, and it's like, who's this guy? It's like, oh, that's Mike Trout at the beginning of the year. It's like, oh, okay, well then, uh, just uh, things happen over time. So, I'm not going to give up on Bell. I'm sure we can talk about this a bit later, but 
I also love Gabriel Arias, so there you go. It's a, it's a <laughs> I'm willing to give everybody a break until it gets warmer, at least, because I I feel like the human element side of it, like there's got to be some people who just they're miserable in the cold. And there's been games where Josh Bell just looks like he wants to go home because <laughs> yeah. it's so damn yeah. cold out there. And you know what? I can't blame him. Whatever. It's April. It'll be May and June. And it'll be 70 degrees soon. And it won't matter. And he'll go on a heading streak, and we won't even care. Yeah, I, I don't care about anything until the end of April. Yeah, I mean, um, more like, oh, at, at that like point, all I care about is the win-loss record, and I don't even care about it being like amazing, like what the Rays are doing. But like, as long as they're over five hundred at the at, at the end of April, and you know, then I'm happy. That's a good starting point because we all know how good this team's going to be in the second half. So yeah, yeah. Um, so you seem a little too happy, Merritt. Let's bring it down a bit. Let's Aaron do Savali. it. <laughs> Sent to the 15-day injured list today. Um, Peyton Battenfield recalled to replace him. Technically, replace him on the. Uh, the 25 day roster, but we are 26 man roster, but we don't know who's going to actually pitch on Wednesday. Um, Savali missed most of last season with several injuries, which are not related at all. It was his glutes, his forearms and his wrists all separate times. He looked really good in his debut this year and he looked decent in the second. Yeah. Step, but he's also, been fine. He's been yeah, good. I mean, considering it was the same lineup back to back, like that's two pretty good starts for a guy who went through streaks of being injured so much last year. It's, I mean, it's really sad basically just because I think Aaron Savali is a fun guy. And I like the fact that he's another Corey Kluber who just doesn't, have any emotion out there he's just mm. even in interviewing after games he's just kind of staring at the at the uh the camera and watching him on the mound he's got all those pitches we talked about last week like he's a guy who could who could thrive with the pitch clock and having all these pitches to, to keep batters off balance but just kind of out of nowhere again a strained oblique this time 15 day dl which i mean 15 days he's going to be on there longer than 15 days it's probably like what they did with mckenzie where they're waiting um until last minute to move him to a longer list if they have to but Bleaks are not a obliques are not an injury to come back for in in 15 days. So he's going to be gone for at least a little while, um, which is obviously devastating for the rotation and for Savali, who was trying to come back from just so many random injuries that just it's, it just sucks to see. The oblique is, in my eyes, the hamstring of the upper body. If that makes sense, that was deep, man. Thanks, man. Uh, <laughs> but like you said, though, it, like. Again, he was very pretty effective. I know I, I mentioned this on uh, I said this in our Slack chat, uh, our internal conversation. Is he just a five inning pitcher? Because it just seems like he can get you through the order exactly twice before it starts falling apart. Which again, it's not a problem by any stretch of the imagination. Any if you can have that guy who if, give me two times for the order and one run earned, like let's yeah, go. It's a four it's to five fantastic. starter easily, yeah, which is exactly and and like I, I've never. It's not like I'm sitting here and saying, oh, I think Aaron Savala can be an ace. Like, he's a perfect you know, mid-rotation kind of pitcher. Um, I just I just wish he could stay healthy in any stretch of the imagination. Like, his the most innings he's ever pitched was, what, 2021, 124 innings and 21 starts. Like, he was, and he was pretty good. 3.84 ERA, like, getting some decent strikeouts, low walk rates, low hit rates, low home run rates. Like, just a decent, solid guy who pitches to his defense, makes it work, and... Gets the, yeah, keeps the ball on the ground to a, a decent rate, like a decent above average. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, we're not going to sit here and say this is a massive, massive loss, but at the same time, like we're immediately testing the depth, along with McKenzie, obviously, like, immediately testing the depth of what Cleveland can, can produce. Like you can't, it really hurts, I suppose, to lose two rotation uh, guys 10 games into the season. And then, you know, one of the other guys on the rotation already is, like please act so uh. <laughs> and i think it's i mean we're testing the depth but they're also not going down to like the the big names because the guy they brought up now is peyton battenfield which i mean he's not terrible but he's also he, he's kind of just like a, a pokemon evolution of aaron savali he's bigger but he does the same exact thing he doesn't have a big fastball it's 
low nineties, but he has a million pitches and his breaking balls. He can do multiple things with it. Fangrass ranked him as the number 40th prospect as a middle reliever though, not as a starter. So yeah, we'll, we'll basically just see if it's going to be either him or Xavier Curry getting to start on Wednesday. Cause both of them, I think Curry has pitched recently within five days, but he only pitched an inning. So he could get the start if he needed. Cause he had, he had that big relief, which was basically a start of Zach, please X first start. Yeah. He piggybacked off of him and it looked great. So they, they haven't really announced who's going to be have that start on Wednesday for their finale against the Yankees, but it'll either be Peyton Pattonfield or Curry um, taking over for Savali. But I don't think they're getting down to, like, obviously it's Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, who looks great in double A or Daniel yeah. Spino down the road. But I think it's the same thing as like with position players where they didn't bring up uh, Gabriel Arias right away until he had a spot even on the bench. They just don't want to bounce him up and down. They, mm-hmm. they Batten feels one of the in-between guys, like a Richie Palacios, basically. But I think he could also be decent as a starter, which will be... Well, and I, I, for, for any of our listeners who didn't read it, um, Matt uh, Schickling read, uh, wrote the kind of preview of, um, of Battenfield this past spring. He seems like an interesting pitcher uh, for many different reasons. I, th- I think most of because of how cerebral he is about pitching. Like he, like if you read the article and it's just uh, things he's talked about with uh, other people, like the way he thinks about pitching, about spin rates, about making his cutter work off of his fastball. And like if it were me, I mean, I, I would just start him, start him in- instead of Curry because there's literally no tape on it. Like all you have is conversations with people who may, may have faced him in double A or double or triple A. Yeah. So start him and see what see what happens. Um, to your point, right? Exactly. He's like he has the biggest fastball in the world, but he has the um, gigantor aspect to a degree. He's only six foot four, quote unquote, only uh, two hundred and forty pounds. He's a tiny man. He's, he's just kind of a big small. guy. Um, but yeah, between but he's, him, he's Gattis, like a stretched out Aaron Savali. <laughs> just exactly. I mean, yeah. Just uh, when you yeah. described him as a cerebral guy who cares about his spin rate, that's that's Aaron Savali, right exactly. There. And then you just add, you know, multiply his size by one point two, and there you go. You have <laughs> there you go. Use a moonstone on Savali, and you get and there. You go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I call them in the. Any TV or any T-shirt uh, manufacturers, I'm trademarking this. I'm calling them the Meatball Boys. Trademark, trademark, <laughs> trademark. Um, they yeah. could have a gigantic rotation. I mean, with with those two, and then Gavin Williams is just pretty give tall. it to me. Just give me huge guys whipping ball, whipping fastballs. Come on now. <laughs> it's gonna be like the uh, the monsters out there. It's gonna be great. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not sitting here saying, "Oh, I'm super jazzed to see you know Peyton Battenfield pitch," but. I am deeply intrigued to see Battenfield pitch. Yeah. I wish it weren't at the cost of losing Aaron Savale. I'm not going to, again, I just, I think we talk about this a lot on this podcast where I just, it's so hard to be like worried or mad or grumpy or anything about any, any player that's kind of coming down the pike because one has a full expectation of them, of the guardians getting the most out of them between the system and between the, you know, the coaching staff and everything like that. So yeah, even if they uh, don't, again, some, some, I was gonna say, just a smart guy who also happens to be huge and has a good cutter and has has an okay fastball. And listen, all you need out of him is three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, eighteen outs, and then you can get to the bullpen and we're good to go. So yeah, yeah. I mean, even if they don't get the most out of Battenfield, you just got Tanner Bybee hitting ninety seven on the radar gun in AAA. So well, and that's <laughs> the fun part. Like to your point, like we're 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 talking about these guys who between him and Gaddis, who are like, what if they could turn them into something useful? And we still haven't even tapped into the arms that are like the arms that we've been talking about. It's it's very similar to any of the position players they've called up. When we still haven't started talking about any of the the capital P players they have coming up through the system. Like if Brennan, who we're going to get to in a few minutes, like hits like, like someone like Quan, all these guys are like they're they're quality players. 
already. And then we haven't even plowed in like the superstar, the potential superstar guys, the high ceiling guys. Um, I think this is going to be a fun year of baseball in Cleveland, but I, th- I think we're, we're still, I just, it's like the window has barely even been cracked open despite the fact they spent all this money on Jimenez and um, Ramirez and all these other guys. Yeah. Uh, last little pitching note before we go on to talking about the lineup, Tristan McKenzie, I think this was just kind of a procedural thing because they knew he'd be out for two months when he was injured. Um, he had his evaluation on Sunday. They said he can start throwing weighted balls, and later this week he can throw regular baseballs. It puts him right on track to be back. They put him on the 60-day DL to make room for Batten Field on the 40-man roster, and McKenzie can be back on the 29th of May, which, again, it was expect- expected yeah. once he went down at the end of spring training. It's it's not fun, but at least we know he's on track. Like He didn't come back, and we have to find out he can't throw for another two weeks or whatever. Like This sucks, but it's, it's on track to be back on time, which is good. The whole McKenzie thing is gutting in its own way because, like, we want him. We 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 waited for him for so long, and he was good. And like, you know, obviously in the back of your brains, like the skinny little guys, you're gonna be able to stay healthy. And just you know, you think back to players like, you know, little or skinny guys like Tim Lincecum. I'm like, oh, they'll never survive. But then you look at other weird, skinny, willowy guys like uh, I don't know, Randy Johnson, just to pick a random name once again, <laughs> and they were fine forever. Um, and maybe maybe it's a blip on the radar. Um, I. I think I talked about this last week, but it's what some some of them thinking about for a while now with the with the pitch clock, like the the the, the micro rest that a pitcher gets between at bats and everything like that, and in between pitches, even like eliminating that over time, it does have a compounding effect. I don't know. This is something I've been thinking about for a little while, but I I, I hope he's fine. I hope he's able to get through it and and, and get past it. And, you know, it's, again, just a blip, and you get, we get 20 starts out of him from uh, March or whatever, May or June 1st to the end of the year. Yeah, so looking at the lineup, Miles Straw is, I mean, just starting back on a high point again with, holy hell, Miles Straw's having a season. Before this game, coming into it, 11 hits, two stolen bases, or uh, two doubles, six stolen bases. Those don't include Monday night, but I think he already got a hit tonight, so he's on a 10-game hitting streak already this year. Um, and earlier today, Quincy Wheeler wrote a great post about Straw and how much better he is when he pulls the ball. I think some of this applies to everybody. Like you pull the ball, you hit it harder, you probably hit better. But but Straw's one of those hitters where everybody likes to stereotype him into a guy who should go the other way and just just try to spread the ball around. But I think Quincy made a really good point that with with a hitter like Straw who doesn't have a lot of power, he should be just doing whatever he can to get the extra little bit of power. He's not Stephen Kwan who has just enough power to go the other way and hit line drives. Like we know Miles Straw is routinely the bottom of the league in barrel rate we know he's not going to hit anything good so you might as well pull the ball and and do a little better as you like squeeze every little bit of power you can and Quincy looked at like last year um I forgot that Miles Straw started out extremely good last year too he did he a 125 yeah. WRC plus in April and probably not a coincidence he was pulling the ball 34 percent of the time there fell into a he, toilet in may yeah there you yeah. go <laughs> fell directly into a toilet what am i doing in this toilet he said i'll just stay here for two months it's fine yeah <laughs> it's actually kind of warm in here you know it's uh, cozy um, in its own way yeah. no but, i mean but it was may to august his pull rate was 20.7 percent, and then in september and october again i forgot that at the end of the season he was amazing and his pull rate shot back up to 38 percent. like there's a very clear I, i'm sure this is for most players again but like if if Miles Straw pulls the ball, I think this is his best pass to success, and he's doing it again this year. And I mean, he has looked like an amazing player. Um, you combine it with his defense, and Quincy said in his posts, like a four to five win player, which I think is is right on track. If if Miles Straw is just as good as he was last year on defense, and so far I think he is. Uh, I think his outs above average right now is it's, it looks terrible, but I think it's because he had like two bad plays so far in ten games. So I wouldn't worry about that. But in general, I think he looks fine on defense. We've already seen him with that one flying catch, and we've seen him throw a couple bullets to second base and almost get 
think it was Eugenio Suarez on the Mariners. He almost got at second base. But, but yeah, this could be an, another case where Miles Straw, if he puts all this together and is the ninth hitter hitting like this, then the lineup is amazing, and I think everything is safe. <laughs> it doesn't even matter, like, if if uh, if Ahmed Rosario is terrible at second. Like, if Miles Straw does this all season long, they've got – the lineup is just longer, just starts down lower. And, and I'm fine leaving Straw at ninth or – for whatever reason, he keeps getting switched to eighth when he's a catcher. I don't know why only Mike Zanino can bat eighth and not ninth instead of Straw. But it's the rules, Matt. You don't understand baseball. It's those vibes. Do I know more? Am I trying to say I know more than Tito? Is that what I'm doing? Actually, you're saying explicitly you know less <laughs> based on your dumb comp- Anyway, I mean, obviously, the, uh, a big key to all this. I, I, I hate to be a you know. No Bobby Buzzkill over here, but 458 wow. is his batting average on balls in play. I mean, uh, I need some of that. That's that's how he lives. He's fast and no, exactly. I mean, and last year, I I I, I in, last year he was awful, but also he had a 261 batting. Yeah, he's never going to have that over a long. Time. Right, exactly. Especially with the you know the, the limited shift rules. Now, to your point, obviously, yeah, I mean, just according to Baseball Reference, as of this morning, he is pulling the ball 16 percent of the time, which is a career low. Um. I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think the things that I, f- I have focused on thus far are his basically one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio and the, the fact that he's stealing bases a lot. Like, that's the thing about him. Like, I, I really don't care about him getting hits. I care about him getting on base, which is obviously, you know, very you know, simple. But if he can maintain anything resembling the, what, 19? He won't. Like, he's, he's walking almost 20% of the time. I think that will drop. He's striking out at a rate that he is used to at 19%. But if he can keep it, his, walk, his walk rate up to a 12 to 15 and, like you said, kind of continue to get those blue pits and pull the ball to get a double or two every now and again. Again, we talked about this last year. We're talking about it now. I don't need him to be a 155 OPS plus kind of guy. Or for those who really care about good statistics, a 161 RBAT plus. Oh, yeah. There it is. There you go. You're welcome. Uh, what I don't need is a 64 RPAT plus. Um, I think that if he could be any, if he could be where somewhere around where he was at some point in 2021 is what what we want out of Miles Straw because he's getting on base at a good clip. He'll be stealing bases. I still think he can be a 30 base, uh, a 30 stolen base guy. He did that once already in his career, and it's it's plain that Cleveland is accentuating that so far. Uh, you know, again, grab, give, give me 25 to 30 doubles, give me five to 10 triples. Um, if you can make that work, I don't know, maybe the pulling the ball will, will, will allow for that, but offense has found money for him. I think is what it is, is quite honestly what it is. We don't want him to be a, a, a black hole, but not if we're limiting the 90 to hundred, whatever rate stat you want, OPS plus WRC plus RBAT plus, whatever the hell you, whatever you want to talk with, um, <laughs> just 90 to hundred and, 90 to 105 would be just dazzling, quite honestly. Because then, again, he's batting ninth, which I know we're all like, oh, well, why are you batting him ninth? Oh, why don't bat him second? Like, No, keep him ninth. He's, he's the I just think, today. I don't know. I, I know there's, a, I, I, I guess we both agree then that, that I, I think there is some value to having, in effect, a second leadoff hitter down there. Because I don't really want him to bat an extra... <laughs> whatever times per game, you know, like point six times per game, whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that to work out in that way. Like, and I also don't want him batting with Stephen Kwan on base too much. Cause well, exactly. again, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He would just do what Ahmed Rosario does, which is hit right. the double exactly. Ball. Like we already have too much of that. If anything, I think Ahmed Rosario should be batting eighth and I'd be fine with that. Like, you know, like 
That's fine. Like the the, the bottom third slash se- second position in the batting order still frustrates me. But what are you going to do? You can't. We can't always be all aces. We can't always be the Dodgers. So I I I like what we're seeing out of Quan so far. Or Quan uh, Straw, excuse me. He obviously has been lucky. He's a guy who makes his own luck. He's fast. I think I, 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 I think I think everything he's doing is what we hope for, and it, it'll all kind of shake out. He's going to hit a bit of a skid soon, or just have a couple over four days, and that Babbitt will drop down to. I mean, I know we're expecting uh, a Babbitt somewhere in the low three hundreds this year, which is higher than you know the two ninety four that he has experienced in his career, and he is a three hundred four career Babbitt. So, assuming something more in the three fifteen to three twenty five range means he's on base a decent amount, he's walking. And I think that's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think your uh, your beloved baseball reference might be wrong for some reason on this pull rate because <laughs> Fangraphs and Baseball Savant both have them a lot higher. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, Baseball I, Savant's 32 and Fangraphs is, is 20. I was looking at a spray chart. I guess there's a couple, unless they only like qualify a pole hit as being out of the infield, maybe? Because there's only, it's obvious, it's Miles Straw, obviously, so there's only a couple of them, but. I mean, he's maybe pulled basically everything. It's either that or up the middle. There's a couple the opposite. But um, so another lineup thing is the fact that, uh, speaking of lineup based on vibes is josh naylor getting so many at bats against lefties uh, so far this season again it's not including tonight if he can against the lefty i know it's a righty starter but um josh naylor 0 for 11 with five strikeouts against lefties <laughs> oh and it's not good every at bat is just hideous like he looks like such a different batter just at the plate and it's weird too because how how much tito will stick to a platoon we'll talk about will brennan in a minute but like he is so willing to platoon guys and i guess in the past i just kind of accepted that Maybe there's a reason for it, but also if he's not platooning Josh Naylor, there's obviously not a real reason for it. It's just, again, the vibes and the feelings of his lineups. Um, because obviously there's no reason Josh Naylor, I, I, the only ring I can possibly think of is they're just trying to brute force him and to be able to hit lefties and they just want him in the lineup so bad. Because on your bench, you just have Gabriel Arias sitting there doing nothing. Uh, he can, he could platoon, he could be, he's played first base. If you don't trust him there for some reason, put him at DH and put Josh Bell at first. I think they've already done that a couple times at least, but I don't know, man. I don't, I don't want him. I love Josh Naylor, but he just looks so bad against lefties and I would rather he not be there against them, but he is. No, I get it. Like, but also we're talking about a guy who has literally less than two years worth of games played in his five years of being a major league baseball player. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is something I think about a lot, quite honestly, with guys who are known to be platoon guys. What is it? Like what? What is that? I guess kind of point. You know what I mean? Where you just decide this is what you are. You are a platoon person. If you face same-handed pitching more than X Y Z amount of times a year, then this this is a uh, this is a, an organizational failure. I want him to be good. I want him to be a, a, an everyday player. I, and obviously, it seems like Cleveland wants that as well. The numbers, like you said, are not pretty at all. <laughs> if a player, in theory, just just picking a random numbers here. If against lefties, a player had a 54 WRC plus and against righties, he had 115. Would that be, would that be the line for a few years? Is that in the minors? That's in the majors. Oh, this is in the, but again, it's not, it's, it's over a few years. Yes, but it's, it's 334 games over five years. Plate appearances. It's a, exactly. It's 1169 plate appearances. Again, though, we're talking about, you know, I mean, in the past, obviously the past is not now, but it was, so many guys would have 3,000 plate appearances before they even hit the majors. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is the year where they're, this is the final test, I suppose. And it's painful, but... The most confusing part of it to me is just trying to figure out 
uh, like that line for Tito specifically, because yeah. it clearly is not there for Josh Naylor. But yeah. Will Brennan and Oscar Gonzalez, they've already crossed the threshold. They're clearly platooning already. And there's been players in the past who he's platooned and we didn't quite know why. But this is one where if he did it, I think everybody would be kind of okay with it. It's like, what it it's got to be just he likes him, right? <laughs> I can't think of anything else. It's got to be that. Because other or... players have deserved to have more at-bats before they were platooned, but they didn't get it. Like, they've had better better splits than Josh Naylor have, but have been platooned anyway. But here we are. But, and then, like, I don't know. What part of it is organizational, too? Like, I, we, we always say, oh, Tito sits the lineups and all this stuff. But, like, it, I, I, it, it, see, it would seem insane to me to say that the front office of one of the three or four smartest teams in all of baseball is just like, yeah, Tito, do whatever the hell you want. Like the, the fact that it's not a conversation is, um, that's a moot point to me. That's impo- it's an impossible thing for me to consider that they are not giving insight into what they should do with these players. Right. Like, yeah, oh, I'm sure there's something. Yeah. Like, I guess well, they've, they've even said before, like they sit down and talk about it and they, they'll argue about it sometimes, but they always hug afterwards was the way they put it. Adorable. Just a, <laughs> a bunch of, just, just, yeah. just a bunch of boys hugging. Adorable. Yeah. I think most uh, of the time it's probably not hugging, but you can't say we slam the door when we leave. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes they're smooching. I don't know. It's just, it's just what's going on. Who knows? Um, so I don't know. It's someone like, I don't know. The other guys that you mentioned, Brennan and Gonzalez specifically, like, Gonzalez, especially, uh, is seems like a platoon. Back to me. Well, yeah, I guess that's, that's a good point. But, but like, what is it that makes him a platoon back? Because Josh Naylor looks like a platoon dad to me. But that's fair. That's fair. I, <laughs> that's I, like I would we're say back on vibes and feelings now. I would say that uh, Josh Naylor has any modicum of patience when he's at the plate. So maybe maybe that helps. Where he's the hope is maybe he could able work himself into better counts and get. You know, left-handed hit. Uh, you know, pitches to hit. I think Brennan could do a similar thing. I just, I, I was just watching the, um, you know, the, the the MLB game day of the game this evening. He had, he had an eleven pitch at bat tonight. He had like a nine pitch at bat last night against all, again against all righties. But that tells me a longer story of a level of patience and zone control that I, you know, I don't mind Oscar Gonzalez at all. But I've, I. I'm, I am known to be someone who's talked about him as being a, maybe not a flash in the pan, but a man very much on the edge of, of good to bad. So what is what is that cutoff? I don't know. Someone someone who writes for a website specifically about the Cleveland Guardians should do a deep dive into young guys who have come up and turned into platoon bats. But like, <laughs> I think the problem is there you won't find a consistent thing. It's just kind of... Well, exactly. Sometimes it's just someone. And sometimes you have... Oh, what was his name? Um... Jordan Luplo. It's like, yeah, you're a platoon bat. We all know this immediately. About <laughs> and they nailed that one. But oh, oh my god, <laughs> did they ever? But <laughs> I mean, like that, maybe for Daniela, he's, he's Jordan Luplo. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, and which again, fine with me. I mean, Jordan Luplo was effectively Mike Trout, you know, <laughs> Miguel, yeah, yeah, Miguel Cabrera at his peak against against left-handed hitting pitching. So it was insane. And, and obviously, like, within my own brain, I'm like, no, you got to give Josh Naylor more chances. He's too cool, and we all love him, and I want him to be a superstar. And I want him to 315 uh, uh, this year with uh, 38 home runs or whatever. So I think that's Tito's exact monologue as he's setting the, <laughs> setting the lineups every day. Josh he's Naylor's cool. awesome. I want him to stay uh, he in. Is, he's so cool. He is, oh, he's such a nice eye. He's a nice smile. Look at him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think the weirdest pinch hit, just the whole thing with Naylor that he did was, it was the game on... What day was that? Saturday, where the it was the game where they had like a million batters in in scoring position and they never did anything. Like Josh Naylor was up the left in left handed reliever for the Mariners, bases loaded, seventh inning. Josh Naylor, the bases loaded, did not bring Gabriel Arias in. 
I do remember that. It made me very mad. It seemed weird me. because that's kind of the whole point. And then the next inning with nobody on base, just just no reason to really do it. There was one out. Gabriel Arias comes in for the catcher at a zero <laughs> leverage situation. I guess he could hit a solo home <laughs> run and tie the game. But it just seems so weird that he intentionally did not sub him out for Josh Naylor, but did it for a catcher in the next inning, which which required burning through one of their three catchers. Um, I don't know. Like it, it, maybe <laughs> this is not me saying this what it is, but maybe if Tito hates having three catchers on his bench, it was a silent protest of three catchers. Cause maybe he should bring, <laughs> if you hate this so much, why maybe he looked directly in <laughs> to where Chris Antonetti was sitting and stared him in the eyes as he made the call. Cause he doesn't like having so many catchers, but I don't, that was a, a, an especially weird one where I just don't know what they're doing with Naylor out there. But again, like, I don't know if, if they're going to try to give Naylor more at bats, whatever he's fun to be out there. But, and if he does it and he's, a perfectly fine bat against lefties by midseason. Who cares? Like, good job. You're right. And I will be very happy to be wrong about that. But in the meantime, it's just kind of, I wish he was only batting against righties because he is so good against them. And uh, it's, it's fun to watch him there. Now, another guy worth talking about who is, uh, I guess, a platoon bat. We've kind of hinted at it a, a few times by now. Or Will is Brennan. he? Or is he? I mean, right now he is, but he shouldn't be yeah, probably. I but um, I think part of it is just the fact that they have, they face so many lefties that he's, he seemed like he hasn't played a whole lot, but once they start facing more righties, I'm, I'm sure he's going to start more, and he's going to probably push his way into the starting role, which is, I mean, I like Oscar Gonzalez. And, but man, Will Brennan, uh, again, he's a contact guy, He's which this offense need, needs more of. Like, Got his Gonzalez, first walk tonight, by the yeah, way, so there you go. <laughs> if Gonzalez cannot provide the immediate power he had in the minors, like, he does nothing for this lineup, which is sad because he's he's also one of my favorite players. But, man, Will Brennan, those clutch hits yesterday were amazing, seeing him do it twice to be fair to Oscar Hernandez just cannot play outfield that kind of helped him it just booped right out of his glove but the fact that Will Brandon even made that kind of contact as a guy who was that his first start in a week almost almost a week exactly like no I guess it was a week since his first start um he's just played so little and comes in and hits like that in a start I think is amazing and I think the more righties they face in a row the more it's going to be the, the harder it's going to be to just take him out against the lefty just because the other guy hits the opposite arm and I and I think Again, I feel the need to couch this every time because I don't want to come across as hating Oscar Gonzalez. But if he didn't have those two walk-offs in the playoffs, I don't think this is a thing that's even that contentious among fans. I think because he was fine and he had he had some fun times in the regular season, but also we, we watched him struggle a lot. And, and we were all excited for Will Brennan to come up because he was struggling. And then he just kind of had those hits in the postseason and, and made us all fall in love with the SpongeBob theme song again. First of all, he's like Michael Young, a professional hitter. Talking about Will Brennan. Second of all, I, I know I've mentioned this several times, but I just feel like Oscar Gonzalez had such a blessed season last year where he got hits just when he needed them to before he got sent down. Like, yeah. I feel like that happened yeah. several times where it's like, boy, he sure is hitting the, he's hitting the skids. And he'd go like, I don't know. And there's a home run, and now he gets another 20 at-bats guaranteed. Exactly, yeah. Which is kind of a, And so, I mean, again, Will Brennan just seems like a more – God damn, I talked about this Will Benson last year, too. Maybe I'm just going to curse him now. <laughs> he just seems like a more traditionally talented hitter. God, you have doomed um, Will Benson because he looks terrible in Cincinnati. but Utterly dreadful. But, like, again, we're talking about a guy who in the minors hit very well. 296, 367, 435. Uh, he is now, his batting average in the majors now is down to 328. So that's too bad. Dropped out to 357 coming into the year. I don't know. I'm I, He is... Uh, an intriguing bat, much, I mean, maybe not quite like a Stephen Kwan, but high contact rates. He's just, he's just like, oh, hey, look, another Cleveland hitter, basically, is what it is. Like, oh, what are you? Like, and so this is a guy very much where I, I, I would like to give him, see him get a kind of a long, 
kind of leash, um, if only because within that profile reminds me a very, a very little bit of Michael Brantley, uh, who was, again, high contact guy who didn't hit for very much power. And then he got a little bit beefier and then he started hitting for some power and he was very good. So. Yeah, Will Brennan with power, man. If that ever happens, that is. We'll that see. Is I mean, again, I'm not even talking about like, like 20 home runs. I'm talking about like 10 home runs and a bunch of doubles. Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, because he's one of those guys in the minors who at times was walking as close to or almost more than he, than he struck out. So, yeah. I mean, he's a guy who's going to get on base a lot once he figures out and gets consistent playing time. Because yeah. even and last year, that, inconsistently, he was a really good header when he, when he came up. Well, and, and that's the thing. He's always looked good in the box. Like, he's one of those guys where he, he looks like he's doing it okay and. Whereas someone like Gonzalez, oh, Gonzalez looks just lost sometimes. Honestly, he's just a free swinger, and you know he, he obviously he he can run into one, and and he'll have his moments. But over the course of a long season, I don't know a guy who just can consistently make decent contact and like I don't know you, you I, I'm just, it's very early in the season obviously, but you look at some of his hard hit rates and exit velocities, and they're all like roughly league average. Where and at the end of the day, if he can give you a roughly league average performance as a what 25 year old it's something you can project out into and like a consistent one not where it's like high ebbs and flows one where it's consistent this is all talking about a guy who hasn't even walked yet until tonight so i he's a guy who i've been interested in i wanted will benson to work out it did not um so we'll just try a different will be a different will the thrill as we say yeah. Or, or sure, he's not gigantic. He's just a little guy. Yeah. Oh, you're going to chill. Will I like chill. Will the Thrill more often? Come on, <laughs> I, I do like Will the Thrill a lot better. But um, so yeah, every Monday, as I do, ask on Facebook and Twitter for questions. Trying to get a uh, get some more things to talk about. There are some good ones this week. Um, we'll start with at Doomer Guards fan. He has oh, a very good. sounds like a positive person. It's <laughs> a very uh, <laughs> on brand question based on his Twitter handle. How concerned are you with Classe's velocity and command not being where it was at this point last year? Um, for context, for anybody who hasn't watched the last innings of some games, I know they've gone until like one in the morning a few times. They've been on the West Coast, but um, the velocity on his on Classe's cutter has dropped about a mile and a half since last year. He peaked at ninety nine point one last year, already this season on April fifth last year at this time. So I mean, it's clearly down year to year. It's not like a strictly the beginning of the year thing. And and again, like like the question said, his command doesn't look quite the same. He just looks kind of off compared to last year. But I think also. I think it's just also there's a lot of different things right now. I think part of it is the catchers are not as sure-handed as they have been in the past in Cleveland, and maybe he's just afraid to re- let it rip like you could when Austin Hedges was back there. I think even though Classe is a guy who works fast anyway, maybe the pitch clock is just having the back of his mind is rushing it. Like you're, when you're one of these guys that your max effort is off the charts and you're pushing the limits of <laughs> what humans can do, I think any tiny little bit of rattling and, and messing up there can can mess with things. So as long as it's not an injury, I'm not super worried because again 10 days and it's also cold and there's a lot of things that can happen in early april that that can affect him and and this is one of the the game has changed more in the first week of this season than i think it ever has in a long time just just game to game and i think there's guys that again the ones that are pushing the limit like class a i think it's going to appear more to them appear more for them i mean he's still his cutter is, is still probably the top this baseball savant is is annoying in that it won't let you choose zero as a minimum requirement for leaderboards so you still can't see the leader for for cutter velocity because he hasn't pitched enough innings. But just looking at the guys last year who were up there with him, um, like Camilo Duvall from the Giants, ninety nine point four per miles per hour in twenty twenty two, he's up a tiny bit to ninety eight ninety nine point eight. But then there's like Graham Ashcroft and the Reds, who was ninety seven point three. He's done the ninety six point one. Bruce R. Greaterall and the Dodgers, ninety five point six miles per hour last year, ninety five point three this year. So 
I don't know. It's not like anybody is, is spectacular. He's still the far and away the hardest cutter. Uh, I mean, last year he was. This year he's he's dipped a little bit under Doval, but I, I don't know. There's there's very few people that do do what he does as well as he does. And I think even if he has a minor dip, as long as he gets the control better, and I don't know. And I think maybe he's just one of those guys who's coming as a closer mentally to get there. And I think last outing he wasn't, I believe, or maybe it was the one before. One of them where he blew it. I don't think he was a closer. Um, or he, he didn't blow it. He just came as not a closer and gave up a couple of hits. But I don't know. Uh, again, it's just another one of those things where it's early and I'm not worried yet until they come out and say he's injured or his velocity dips during a game, which is always, I think, a big red flag. Like if it's if it's down just every game normally, maybe it means he has a permanent decline a bit, and maybe he's not hitting triple digits. But if he can still hit 98 and 99 and live in 97, it's still an extremely good closer, which is fine for me. But we'll see. Uh, over his first uh, six appearances last year, he had a 7.71 ERA and uh, given up four earned runs uh, in six innings. So, that was last year or this year? That, that was last year. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I, again, listen, I, I hear what everyone's saying, like, oh, no, his velocity's down a tick. He's still throwing 98. That's hard to hit at the end of the day. I just I feel like there's a less of a difference in 100 miles an hour to 98 than there is between 94 and 92 or 92 and 90. Well, literally math. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I'm fine with all of this. Um, but again, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I, it feels dismissive almost to say it's April 10th. Come on, guys. Like it just, I don't know. It's cold, like you said, and relief pitchers are just unlucky sometimes. We, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago with Edwin Diaz where he just was really bad one year. And like a lot of it was luck based and just shit went the wrong way. And he just got lucky with like home run rates and stuff. And yeah, it's weird to see Class A put the ball in the air like he has, but it's April 10th. He's pitched five innings, right? Yeah, exactly five innings. So I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to get, for, to get, again, it's like, hard to get. This is a great podcast, man. It's just hard to get concerned about things, but it, it's, just, I'm not going to pretend to be panicky, but. Like his ground ball rate is still as strong as it was a year ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a big thing. With him. It, I, 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 and that that I think more than anything else is what we want to circle is his ground ball rate is still sixty one percent. He's not getting strikeouts like he did, but again, it's five innings. He's faced what twelve batters or something like that. So, and the Mariners are good, and he's faced the same lineup over two series, which I think is another uh, big and thing. That's a, and that's a big deal. And like, it's not a bad lineup. It's a good lineup. It's a, it's a, it's a playoff caliber lineup at the end of the day, seeing a guy that, that quickly, that, that that's why the, you know, that's why the postseason is hard. Like they figure out your relief pitchers by game three or four, uh, being able to go four and five deep, like Cleveland potentially can makes it a little bit better, but that, you know, it, it makes someone like class a who during the regular season is so dominant because he's seeing a, you know, you're seeing what four different teams each year, or, or, or two or three different teams uh, each week, or whatever it is. Um, I don't know. I I'll worry about it in June when he's throwing 96. But right now, again, 98, 99, uh, tickling 100 every now and again. I'm just, oh man, I just I can't, I can't worry too much about that when when the when, when, when the rotation is so after right now. Yeah, <laughs> Come on now. he's like, the least of my worries right now. I, he's not the least, but he's definitely fifth. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll do one more here. At uh, mmahoney157, like Mahoney on Twitter, he asks, how hard can either of you throw? Since the way he phrased it, I'm going to put it on you. How hard can you throw, Merritt? Have you ever done one of those pitching machines at a game or anything? Yes, I the... have, actually. Oh, shit, there we go. What do you got? Uh, it, was at, uh, it was like four or five years ago. The Lexington Legends game. I threw 75 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you go. 
You're like, that's, that's actually not that now, bad. Now, where did the ball end pitch, up? Right? I will not mention. <laughs> did it hit the strike zone? Immaterial. <laughs> Immaterial. But that I radar gun lit up, let me tell you. It was going. Listen, it said, seven, it said a seven and a five in that order. So <laughs> I didn't feel too bad about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine 75 is probably extremely good for just someone now, in their 20s. Could I lift my arm very well the rest of the night? No, it hurt very much. <laughs> was this <laughs> a case much. where like there were people watching and you just pushed yourself further than you probably I should have? I sure did, out? buddy. <laughs> my arm hurt for days. I wonder how many people <laughs> go to that thing and just kill themselves trying to get the high I'm saying. <laughs> That's a hard we can throw. It's, I, I gotta you? go to. I don't go to enough games, but sometime I will. I'll try to do. Yeah, so just to answer this question in the future. The next time I go to baseball, if I were to do it again, it. I could probably. I could probably hit fifty. I don't know. <laughs> I could probably hit ninety. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. I'm left-handed. I got a long arm. I'm, I'm useful. Uh, yeah, I throw eighty-four. Uh, I'm basically Hunter Gaddis out here. I could hit ninety-seven. Yeah, right, yeah, look at that. Look at that guy over there. Exactly. Yeah, you're literally. Obviously <laughs> I'm Gattis. basically Hunter Gaddis. Yeah. yeah, you're you're a big guy with a beard. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Unlike Hunter, although how old is Hunter Gaddis? He's he's still young and spry, right? He might still lose his hair, but unlike Hunter Gaddis, I don't I have no more hair on my head. But that's all right. Yeah, I got the beard going, but we'll you see. had your time. Yeah. Hey, well, Brennan got another <laughs> walk. That's two now. Yeah, so baby. That, there's no way he's leaving the lineup. He's, he's stuck there now. No, yeah, he's, he's locked in. Also, Mike Zeno is, is good. He's not locked in. Oh, is he? Is he good now? No, he has another Can double. So we'll see. Looking at anyway. All right. On that note, Merritt, let's go. Let's go watch the Yankees game. <laughs> Talk I love to you next it. week. Later.